I, I, I don't know the, the context, I guess, of why Nina, t- was she making a joke like we deserve more in terms of the food substance of what you're providing <laughs> to the meeting? No, no, or no. is it, it more like a big they, fat they donut away, is they what they're offering? meeting with the, like the Dem establishment yeah. and all that they could say that they actually got was donuts and water. Like, that was right. the only thing that the DNC was willing to offer the progressive wing of the party. Man, you know, every day I wake up and I'm just ready. I'm just ready to be out of that shit. Yeah, I thought you were doing like a, every day I wake up in my <laughs> makeup. Hey, look, it's, it's give oh, us policy, yeah. but give us donuts, too. Yeah, seriously. Oh, yeah, no, I don't think donuts. anyone's actually complaining about getting donuts at a meeting. It's just if that's the only <laughs> right. thing. I mean... It's it's such a great metaphor too, right? That right. You know, what the Democrats are willing to offer progressives is this completely empty calorie, like not good for you sort of substance, and that's supposed to win you over. Well, and that and that they're proudly displaying that now on social media. That yep, I'm the guys that are saying f off. You know, we needed you before, and we still lost, but now I'm saying we don't need you. I mean. Right. That, that's kind of what that symbol means yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever. <laughs> and like that's donuts, so... they have nothing in the middle. <laughs> I was going to say that's so fitting for them. But, you know, all this corn cob, this donut, this food identity, it's like it's taking it back to that you are what you eat mentality. No, it's like it's like Chick-a-Filla. The only way Americans yeah. understand <laughs> politics is through food that's bad for you. are listening to the liquid flannel podcast thanks for tuning in i'm chuck williams joining me in nebraska is brandon williams brandon how you doing man uh, i'm doing good until the nukes start flying hey man you know just open that umbrella everything will be fine duck and cover duck and cover, buddy. <laughs> duck and cover. that's right kids duck and cover and joining us in arlington texas is the great matthew hodges matt how's it going dude i i am happier than i've ever been starting a podcast episode uh, because I've oh, been yeah. using donut as a sort of a light insult for idiot for years. Really? And so to have all of these like hashtags still with her, hashtag the resistance, like liberals on Twitter, putting literal donuts in their Twitter handles, it's it's delightful. It, this is a this is candy for my soul. It's kind of funny you mentioned that you use donut as a light insult for years i've been using donut as a light breakfast for years so you know (laughs) just isn't it ironic anyways (laughs) and as you all know we bring on great guests all the time and matt this is no exception why don't you tell the audience who we've got this week yeah absolutely uh he's a writer and illustrator and activist uh his work has been published in the nib and the new yorker He's also a card-carrying member of the DSA, and he's part of the New York City Media Working Group for the DSA, and we're delighted to welcome John Levitt to the show. John, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Keeping fit, sleeping well, getting ready for the fire times. It's pretty good. Mm. (laughs) Just make sure you get that ammunition, bottled water. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's just like for Tuesdays, so. (laughs) Is there something else going on? (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) we'll figure it out (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah so i think uh i I think our first topic is going to be talking to john about some of the work he's doing particularly with 
messaging for the democratic socialists and uh everyone knows that one of my pet projects is to talk about the kind of the progressive split and he has some great thoughts on that too so i want to talk about that absolutely and you know i think we've got to touch on the insanity that is the north korean situation and uh you know i hear a lot of people saying you know if uh if you just voted for Hillary, you know, this would have been fine. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, you know who things would still not be fine for. That would be Paul Manafort. And it just seems like the whole world is coming down on him this week as well. So, <laughs> so it seems like we've got a full slate of topics that we can dive into. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right in. Party. Well, what is the difference between a Democrat game. and a socialist? I used to think there was a big difference. What, what do you think it is? The difference between the Democrat, like Hillary Clinton, the, the more socialist like Bernie is Sanders. What's the difference between uh, being a Democrat and being a Republican? Well, what's the bigger difference? What's the big difference between a Democrat and a socialist? You're the chairman of the Democratic Party. Tell me the difference between you and a socialist. The, the relevant debate that we'll be having over the course of this, this campaign is what's the difference between a Democrat a and a Republican? Well, all right, we're ex- so excited to. Uh, talk to John Leavitt here uh I have to admit when (laughs) Matthew first contacted me I was like oh that's a big podcast get oh wait which John is this I I can't keep them all straight John Lovitz the guy from uh he did the voice for the critic I was like man we're moving up fast dude I'm not ready for all this fame (laughs) no so Brendan your question for John was you know as John Levitt are you do you get pissed off when people confuse you for John Lovett, the Pod Save America guy? Um, yes, immensely, mostly because uh, he won't have me on his podcast, The Coward. Oh. And um, when he has his personal podcast, like Love It or Leave It, I just thought people naturally just thought I was on it, which annoyed me because I could murder him. Very easily <laughs> in a debate. They'll just just oh, trap me in a room with him for about five minutes, and I'll turn him into a Bolshevik. <laughs> but like the biggest problem is, I do listen to Pod Save America, and whenever he talks, I cannot tell our voices apart. So I'm worried that there's an orphan black situation going on. Mm. Yeah, so, I think you might. I mean, have you ever been in the same room as John Lovett? Because you might actually be him and just be living a dual life. It's like say. a schizophrenia thing. Like you never this know multiple club personalities. I mean, I know that we've never had John Lovett and John Lovett on the show at the same time. Yeah, uh, I, I do miss a lot of sleep, and I do black out a lot. And I usually thought that was just gin. Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I, I think you might need to consult a physician <laughs> get a sleep test done <laughs> oh man yeah so john oh, yeah. now that we've we've mm-hmm. sorted out like, all jokes aside which john you are um yeah. now i i've been really curious about this work that you're doing with the the new york city dsa's uh, media working group uh because i obviously a major challenge that's facing leftist organizers in the country right now is how do you message? How do you get people's attention? How do we overcome the sort of uh, like baby boomer holdover Cold War knee-jerk reaction against anything that sounds like socialism, anything that sounds like communism? You know, what are you guys doing to address that? 
Well, what we're doing right now in particular is focusing on messages that are very positive and that are very materialist. That is, they're based on things that actually impact people's lives. Uh, the Healthcare for All, Medicare for All campaign is all nice big red banners, healthcare is a human right, Medicare for All. Mm -hmm. uh, in our literature that we're helping write, or I'm helping write some of it, we are focusing on, you know, maybe America already has a couple socialist ideals, or what even is socialism? Doesn't everybody like uh, sure. roads and fire and firemen and the police to a certain extent, or libraries? Well, actually, not everybody does like those. The uh, idea. We were talking about Rand Paul earlier, but you, you well, know Rand what? Paul you like know what? Socialism. Alive, so that's another thing. <laughs> socialism <laughs> is giving the worst performing team the top draft. Overwhelming goal is to create a a positive base, a positive message, a message that people deserve better than what they're currently getting, and then we could help give them that, or help get them to a point where they can take it for themselves. Very cool. Right, and I think it's a great uh, contrast to corporatism, which I think a lot of people have an inherent dislike of kind of the corporatism, where it's like, hey, who cares about people? Who cares about you know, justice as long as you're making money you know that's all that really matters and i think yeah the way to validate all of our social programs is whether or not they're good for the public fisc whether or not they're profitable mm -hmm. and the republicans run explicitly on that message and the democrats kind of run implicitly on that message but it's actually not a good message right and some of the stuff we're doing particularly with community outreach um which we're going to start doing more of now, now that we're post-convention, now that we are at 25,000 members, we're no longer just starting to set up. We can start to expand into communities and get into a feeling of community groups and neighborhoods and sharings and people helping people, not only just us helping each other mm -hmm. as DSA members, but also going out into communities and helping people. Um, rural and smaller groups I feel are in an ideal position to do social interventionalist work whereas they go around and they start diaper drives or they help fund food banks and they step in and say we are part of your community we are here to help you right I and mean, that's going back to the like the basics of where politics started was this group can help you in your day-to-day -day life and that's that's a place where the Democrats have fallen down on messaging because every policy they put forward is this super wonky, you know, you need to read like a 15 page manuscript to understand why this policy might be good for your family. Whereas opposition parties can just say, we're going to get rid of the immigrants or something like that. It, you know, if the DSA is out there saying like, look, when I was when I was in trouble, they were providing cheap dental care for my family mm -hmm. that resonates that's that's a great message and, for people. and critics say like oh that's just bribery you're just bribing people to vote for you and i'd say it's it's, it's called <laughs> giving a damn about the people you live with like that's such yeah. a sociopathic <laughs> way of viewing politics but yeah they're like you're all... such an opportunist <laughs> But uh, I'm trying to help people. It's also that people are starving for change out there. The system just isn't working, and change has won the last three presidential elections. Yeah, very true. Right. I mean, change is such a strong message that people would vote for Donald Trump, even though yeah. he clearly uh, was not qualified. Well, and, it, <laughs> it is change. It's just a horrifying, nightmarish change, 
that affects us yeah. every day with new fresh <laughs> <Yeah>. hell. <laughs> yep, right. Absolutely. I wake up every morning to about eight Donald Trump tweets, and I'm like, oh, that's changing. Right. Things well, are changing. <laughs> and, you know, like Matt was implying, a long time people have been so scared of socialism and, and things like that because it's just like, hey, you don't even talk about that because it's just a non-starter. You know, don't even say that word. But in a world where reality TV stars and Kid Rock can run for political office, right. maybe it's not so crazy to think that someone who calls himself a socialist isn't just doomed from the get-go. You know, maybe yeah. they have a ch- shot yeah, to get right. their voice heard. And- <laughs> well, and it's also in a world where we've got, you know, there will be one think piece one week that's like, why why millennials can't afford to purchase a house or you know, save for college for their kids. And it's because the job situation is terrible for young people. It's because everyone's drowning in debt. And then the next week, like the same mouthpiece will publish an article that's like, why do millennials hate capitalism so much? (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's, um, well, quite frankly, it's scary out there. I don't think people quite realize, or rather people in the sort of well-insulated media class realize that we're still going through the worst economy since the 1930s. Uh, the fact that oh, there yeah. hasn't been some sort of mass uprising is really shocking to me. Well, but how can the economy be bad when the sky r- mark, you know, the stock market's just sky high? Right. right yeah. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> but there's a difference between corporate profits and actual like people's wages you know and things like that and yeah uh, again neither political party the democrats or the republicans right now are really talking about that in in a meaningful way and i have to say like my experience going um do i i do a lot of happy hour events for the group Mm -hmm. particularly the lgbtq happy hours which are great, by the mm. way. We're trying to plan more of them. And there you do direct canvassing in the bar. Like, you go out and you talk to people and you try to sign them up. And I got to say, the actual experience of saying, like, oh, well, we're the Democratic Socialists. This is what we believe in. This is what we're for here. Mm-hmm. Have a pamphlet. Is more, like, interested curiosity of, like, oh, this might be this new thing. People aren't as hostile to even just the word as I think people think. I mean, this may change because I live in, right. you know, New York, which is full of fags and commies. But um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that that really is the reaction. Very few people have like this visceral reaction to the word. I mean, only one drunk guy thought we were Nazis. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I think we have to give credit to, you know, Bernie Sanders for opening that door and, yes. uh, you know, appealing not just to people who are urban. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of the reason that he was so popular, you know, when we went to a rally in Nebraska with Bernie and there was thousands and thousands of people there. Yep. Um, so I think people are coming around and especially when you look at the younger people, the older people, you know, maybe there's nothing you can do to get negative connotations with just the term socialism, you know, out of their mind because it was just ingrained to them, mm-hmm. indoctrinated into them since uh, birth, uh, basically uh, uh, in America. There are a lot of old dormant activists from the students for a democratic society out Ooh. there and they've yeah. they're sitting there and they're waiting sure. for someone to say it's okay to say socialism again yeah no that's cool that's super encouraging brendan you reminded me of another question i had for john which was uh so one of the one of the things that people say 
ruined Bernie's chances in the in the primaries and um, possibly even in the general if he had gotten that far was that his message was one of economic populism and possibly to the detriment of speaking to underserved uh, classes under you know underprivileged minorities in this country and uh, I know that there was some good forward motion at the DSA National Convention on that but I wonder what your thoughts are on what the DSA can be doing and what they are doing and what they should be doing uh, it, in terms of making sure that it really is a party for everyone and not just the way like Neera Tannen wants to paint the movement as being all, you know, white privileged Bernie bros. Right. Uh, this has been a plank and a very important part of outreach and media group since I first joined nine months ago. Uh, it's been inside every conversation uh, we've ever had on a larger level, which is we cannot be the party of downwardly mobile white millennials or will fail. <laughs> and part of the way of doing that is by at the convention we voted and I want to say unanimously not one dissenting vote for the creation of an yeah. Afro-Socialist and People of Color Caucus that would directly center mm. the needs of uh, disadvantaged and minority communities and in particularly binding our in New York for example the Uptown Bronx Manhattan chapter is binding its cause together with Black Lives Matter because we oh, have okay. the uh, they have the visibility, but we have the numbers, mm. and we're working with them together. And in addition to that, there are plans to help, like with the interventionalist, expand out into minority communities to do direct social work. Nice. That's fascinating, and uh, combined with what you said about doing more rural outreach, I could see that being incredibly right. effective. And, uh, as we've said over and over again, and I think this is this is the thing that makes me really believe that DSA has a chance and is really inspiring, is that they have made labor the lodestone of all decisions. At the end of the day, mm. everything has to come back to labor and the workers. Are they being served? Are they being supported? And, for example, we helped arrange the CW strike for, uh, I believe it was AT&T workers. Mm -hmm. nice. And eight people who work at AT&T stores in New York City are overwhelmingly black, overwhelmingly young. Yeah. And we helped, through their or, uh, union, create a huge solidarity strike throughout the city. We closed mm -hmm. stores down for an entire weekend, and it was incredibly inspiring to see an entire generation of young African-American kids start to learn about solidarity, about union leadership, about... Uh, how to demand a living wage, how to demand a job, uh, a job that you need. And they were doing it themselves. We were helping and we were providing support, but it was encouraging them to take the reins. That's amazing. Empowering. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's no downside because uh, AT&T is just not very popular. Yeah. Um, right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good target. Yeah. Yeah, no, if you want to go after someone, go after a telecom. God. Uh, yeah. Telecom or a cable yeah. company. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, and well, even the Democrats oh. are getting on board with that one. So uh, I think uh, that that plank uh, is definitely a solid one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we also created the Labor Caucus as well in order to reorient labor as it. Uh, I actually helped um, design the logo for the Village Voice Union because there are these low-level plans to create a – maybe I shouldn't say this out loud – larger media union within the city. Hmm. Oh. Um, 
And it's the idea that if you bring in workers, you're going to bring in all people because everybody works, because none of us are capitalists, because none of us have capital. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I mean, the... I think the like the failure of the messaging so far has been that it seems to come from kind of like a top-down perspective where we're talking about, you know, we need to we need to adjust like economic conditions and there's not enough of that sort of uh, grassroots or you know like ground movement. There there aren't boots on the ground convincing people like, you know, my coworkers uh, at the restaurant who are overwhelmingly uh, Latino uh, that this would be a good party for you too. It does stand for you. It's it's speaking to, you know, you don't have any power over your boss, uh, and what this movement can do for you is give you that. Yes, precisely. Like that is the idea. And if you keep doing that, you will eventually reach everyone, which is great. And the goal of allowing workers to have more control and more autonomy, ideally to own all of the. Uh, or one might say seize all of their um, <laughs> workplaces. Did you make that up? That That's that's a really good phrase. It seems like that should take off. Yeah, I don't know. It just came to me. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like this. Is, all of these things are extremely long-term goals. But um, if you're like me and you've become borderline evangelical about it, it's like, well, this is just going to be the task of a lifetime. Yep. You just have to commit to uh, dedicating the rest of your life to this. So, yeah. yeah well, it's, well, and I think that's okay. I mean, the the left does need evangelists. You know, we it it seems like the left hasn't had that in a very long time. It was these sort of isolated movements, and so what DSA is doing is pulling together all of these threads that have existed for a long time and putting them under one banner right. and. Uh, you know, coordinating messaging, and that's great. And on that point, um, everything being under one banner, uh, I wanted to talk about the progressive split. Mm, yes, please yeah. do. Well, it, and I mean, you guys know that this is uh, a thing that I've been railing on for like the last couple of weeks, so I'm definitely interested in this perspective. I hope they can stay together for the children. Well, and I love <laughs> I love Dunkin' Donuts, so let's dunk on some donuts right now, you guys. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, so where where are you at on donuts there, John? Um, I like them glazed. No, that's a bad joke. Krispy um, Kreme or... <laughs> yeah, what's the donut sitch that like in New in York City? I just, yeah, please cut everything five minutes before this. Where do I stand? <laughs> <laughs> Ask me another question that doesn't end in a bad joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> Time to make the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts are always fresh. I made the donuts. We make them at least twice every day. Time to make the donuts. Not a few kinds, like supermarkets. Hey, donuts. Time to make the donuts. But up to 52 varieties. The donuts. <laughs> Make the donuts. I made the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, up to 52 varieties, fresh day and night. No supermarket can say that. Yeah, so John, what's your opinion of these people who are unironically labeling themselves donuts when the whole thing started because progressives are really pissed that the Democratic establishment won't listen to them and what they offer them is this, like, low-calorie food? 
Well, you know, th they talk about identity politics, and I don't want to smash identity politics. Identity politics gave us the civil rights movement and gay rights, but they are one mm -hmm. weapon in our arsenal. In mm -hmm. I should have said tool shed. I always go marital. God, I'm a violent person. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind, it's John? It's the times, man. It's, it's the, the times. You're feeling it's it. It's the times. Um, in the air. But, you know, if you want to talk people who are completely obsessed with their made-up identity it's these sort of centrist democrats whom all they have is the idea that they are the most moral most morally upright people they deserve everything the best they're they're the most, they're the civil. most civil you know, they they're, have they're the, super polite the most money usually they're really into money and it's the the best the best president that they ever had was Jed Bartlett, yeah, and he was actually a good president. <laughs> and it's just it's or, re or real, completely <laughs> hollow, and it's a doesn't make sense because they have no ideology. They aren't for anything really, other than a vague niceness. They're you know they're right now. Hold on, I'll stop you there because I I don't think it's that they have no ideology. Well, they. They have neoliberalism. The, they're not they just, willing to state yeah. what their ideology yeah, their, their is. Their ideology is the market should rule everything, but also it's okay if gay people get married. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, there are a lot of people still in the Democratic Party who are really hungering, like I said before, hungering for change, but also hungering for that old progressive spirit of the party, uh, which wasn't necessarily socialist, but was sort of, you know call it a num another name kind of socialism like the new deal band-aid stuff mm. yeah which right. you know i started out that way i'm being slowly pushed more and more left i'm not going to say private property shouldn't be a thing but i will subscribe to the newsletter uh, <laughs> oh i will I, I'll, yeah. I'll say that mm -hmm. private property shouldn't be a but thing. you know i, I the, in the split i feel between like died in the wool card carry me basically card carrying socialists <laughs> and you know people who can be reached on the democratic party like i think we should be civil to them a lot of them are old activists from the 60s a lot of them have fallen out of politics out of disgust a lot of sure. them want something optimistic and good and i think you know progressive left liberalism will be our bridge to them and you know way out Anarchist space communism is like our bridge to the future, and like, mm. gay, gay anarchist, anarchist space, space communism. Com. We will unify with the space comrades, and you mm. know I, I see TSA <laughs> as like this bridge between that. Like we need to get all the people from the past, pull them over, and then we need to push forward into the future because this is you know it's only going to get hotter and weirder in this planet. So this is literally mm -hmm. a fight to save the world. So not to invoke uh, what is sometimes considered a really ugly phrase, but what you're talking about is is being a vanguard. You're talking about being a messaging vanguard. In a sense, yes. Uh, I do believe that we that there is a center that is tenable. Uh, it's just it's way to the left of the current centralist Dems. Like I would consider progressive well, left liberalism, New Dealism to be a center. Right. Well, and if the yeah. goal if the goal is centrism, you can't start at centrism and then work with the far right to get right. to centrism. No, like my, like my that's goal, just not possible. Yeah, no, you're correct. Like you should always keep utopia in your mind because that is the thing you're constantly striving for. We're constantly mm. working toward the impossible perfect future where everything is wonderful and lovely. 
but then that means we can compromise. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think Brandon's point also is that, you know, what we see in the general political dialogue is we're trying to get to zero, but you can't average zero and Started. like four and still end up at zero. Right. You know, you're still going to be on the right side right. of that that number line. Yeah. So you have to you have to do things that sound quite revolutionary and sound quite radical, but I always maintain I'm trying to bring everything to the center that is actually not very radical because what I have in my head and what my my dreams for the future those actually are radical and I'm willing to like fight to get us there. Mhm. It's shifting the Overton window back to the left where it ought right. to be to get someplace closer to the center. Exactly. Well, and Republicans have been working on this for a long time. And I mean, Trump now is just blatantly saying, you know, things like, well, my opening bid, you know, you make it's art of the deal. You make your right. opening bid so yeah. insane that then when you walk it back a tiny bit, they say like, well, at least it isn't as crazy as the first thing he said. So let's just go with it. Yeah. Um, right. And it's worked pretty well for them so far so it's pretty shocking that it's it's taken so long for Democrats the other side to catch on and, right to wake yeah. up and to kind of figure <laughs> out like, like oh these are the rules we're playing by right you, you know. can't come to the conversation you know pre-compromising yourself if that's where your opening bid is going to be right right, right. And it, like it all it all just comes down to the a lot of it is the influence of money in politics and i cannot believe how little politicians can be paid off by like oh, sure. you see some of these bribes like for essentially bribes for votes it's less than i paid for my house i mean come on dude in nebraska you can pay off a politician with a bologna sandwich lunch <laughs> you know <laughs> like <laughs> they will be in and, your pocket <laughs> you know it's like the, the larger thing is like we know we can create a kind of quasi welfare state in america what we don't right. know how to do is either a expand it or b make sure it isn't immediately destroyed Right. Right. Well, and I think that comes back to what we started talking about with the donuts, right? Is that because the corporatist Democrats are have lived in that world for so long, they think that when they have a meeting with some progressives, they can just say like, hey, here's some free donuts mm -hmm. and we'll just kind of pretend to listen to you and think, you know, hey, we nailed it again. You know, yeah. we gave them some time. We, some we listened politely. Mm -hmm. We threw some donuts in their face. <laughs> their votes are guaranteed <laughs> right. now. Problem solved. Yep. Um, and it's just perfect that they're labeling themselves with the perfect image of empty calories that are bad for you, but kind of sound good <laughs> yep. and seem good unless you think about it too hard. Let them eat cake. I mean, you couldn't have come up with a better label if you were trying to pin a negative label on them and they're just owning it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> we're good at that. Damn it. <laughs> but I, I guess... My question is, you know, what is kind of what is that end goal? Is it pulling Democrats to the left? Is it trying to start, you know, a new, you know, third political party or some sort of independent party, mm -hmm. you know, to supplant them? You know, what does success look like? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Like, I mean, how to what extent does the DSA want to work within the existing system? And to what extent is it going to try to be truly revolutionary? And if it's going to be revolutionary, is that realistic like where does pragmatism play a role well uh i always believe you should uh be practical and insist on the impossible but mm -hmm. working with the democratic party was a really big bone of contention at this year's convention uh i would describe it as saying there's not a will to completely leave and i 
personally, I don't believe they should just because the Democrats have an amazing organizational pre-existing structure that should be mm-hmm. used and shouldn't be thrown away. But we're definitely looking at the door and yeah. thinking like, we'll, we'll work with you, but we're not going to rely on you. We're going to sit down. Everyone's going to go back. After this convention, everyone goes back to their home chapters, and you start building socialism at home. Mm -hmm. And and certainly, we're not going to just sit here quietly and continue to vote for these candidates that we don't feel represent the best interest of the country or what we believe in. There are some people who say, like, you shouldn't do electoral politics at all. Um, You should only do worker-focused politics or labor-focused politics or whatever but i don't believe that Mm. half the half the people who joined up were because of electoral politics and Mm. but i think you know like we're doing in new york we're only focused on city council level and below basically like start small start grassroots get your people in run them as independents if you can uh if you can get some democrats on your side who will be we had um a city council member whose endorsement uh, who coveted our endorsement and we rejected her because we were pretty sure she was just going to use it as a little tag on her website and then never address our concerns ever again. We want mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. will actively run as either DSA members or as socialists, even if they are registered Dems or, or as independents. And, you know, the goal, ideally, my goal would be to annoy the democrats so much that they're forced to move left and we're sort of seeing that with some of the other like opportunists like cory booker like they know what Uh, side of the they know what side their bread is buttered on and the idea is the idea is to make us that side and (laughs) not corporate money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's hard because i think they're addicted to that money i mean that's that's a challenge so well and it's not like they win elections so Exactly, right, exactly. Exactly. It goes to show Hillary Clinton had so much money in the last election, and it turns out John Ossoff, yeah, right. money money isn't everything if people don't actually feel motivated, right? And inspired. I'd mentioned that I was like, you know, her campaign outspent Trump ten to one on advertising, and someone had said, well, but Trump got all that free advertising, you know, from the media that he didn't even have to pay for. And I'm like, I know that we all adhere to the any new, you know any press is good press sort of thing but it if i was paying for press I, it wouldn't be the messages that the press was giving out for donald trump you know so it wasn't good press but yeah well, i don't right. know well and actually chuck thanks for bringing it up because i think to uh to wrap up this this segment john you were saying uh before we started recording you were talking about um the ways that the dsa is trying to catch attention mm-hmm. And I think that's really important when we're talking about a media that isn't necessarily an enemy, but they're also not necessarily an ally. They're more of a tool that kind of needs to be manipulated if you want this message to get out. And you had some really interesting thoughts on what DSA is trying to do to, uh, to make that happen. Well, uh, let me first say that I am helping form a communications division within DSA NYC because since with the uh, uh, Scaramucci, I assume is gonna be- <laughs> uh, yes, he's he's available. He's actually my coke dealer, so that'll be cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, with the idea is that we've been getting so much press recently, like 
I tried to keep track, and I've been annoying my Twitter followers by just tweeting every time there was a new article about the convention, and um, it's boggling, actually. The CNN ran a really good, really in-depth report with one of our organizers during the convention that really shocked me, because I was expecting to be covered by, you know, like, Alternet or The Intercept or whatever. Mm. Not that they're bad. But they're not mainstream. Right. <laughs> they're not mainstream publications. TYT. And, you know. Well, and even CNN, you might be suspicious that they were going to cover yeah. you as, like, look at these wing look, nuts. Look at these wing you know? nuts. Yeah. And, uh, these old Occupy thing, throwbacks. The photo they used is a photo I'm in, but I'm clearly checking my phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's great. They did that on purpose. Um, but no, it was like it was a really good, respectful, in-depth interview. And we're trying to work in, in creating internal communications because New York City is the heart of a, the American news industry, that it was it would essentially be a national communications industry. So we can liaison with the press better and identify spokespeople within our organization that can talk to us, uh, drill people at direct actions on talking points in case they get contacted by a journalist, which is mm -hmm. really important uh, for public persona image. But... Sure. During yeah, during the convention and immediately after her, we've had this explosion in press coverage, and most of it pretty positive, which mm -hmm. makes me think the tone the media is taking on us has shifted from "look at these idiotic children" to "this is a curious new thing that's happening." Right. Yeah. But uh, when yeah. it comes to representing DSA in the media, um, there are certain things I always harp on. I'm, I'm constantly yelling at our Instagram person to have less white people on there and less young people, <laughs> <laughs> because we do have a we do have a white guy image problem. And as I mm. said before, we are working to address it. But when it <laughs> comes to things like marches and rallies, I have developed this mm. philosophy of um, philosophy of protest aesthetics. Mm. That is really interesting. Um, I haven't really developed it. It comes from practical knowledge. Well, and you were uh, you you've done you've done some like theater and performance in the past, so I could see that possibly playing a role. It's like in your stage aesthetic. block. I just think it's because I'm gay. Mm, levels. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, before every like mass protest, like before Pride, before Labor Day, we had something called the Secret mm -hmm. Sign Making Club. And we would roll plastic tarp out on someone's floor. We would cut up all our old Amazon boxes. That's right. We will use the tools of the oppressor against us. <laughs> and right. we would paint these uh, cardboard panels bright red, toss them over, paint them again, and then just write slogans in them or just write, you know, giant roses in white and red. And they looked really good, but they didn't look like you just paid $7,000 at a laser jet to get a whole bunch right. of posters printed. Mm -hmm. Like, they were big and sturdy, but they were clearly handmade. But also, mm -hmm. someone had clearly yeah. cared enough about them mm -hmm. to make them look really good. And I think that broadcasts a different kind of power. I think that broadcasts um, uh, something called crafting power, which means, like, mm -hmm. this is so important to us that we took a lot of time to create it. Yeah, it doesn't feel institutional. This yeah. is... It, it screams grassroots. Yeah, it's mm. like, we're doing this because we want to. We clearly made this by hand. And we actually have a lovely craft night for New York City Media Working where people just um, knit or crochet together roses. 
Mm. because uh, the roses we find are really good as giant pins when you're in a crowd, because like with the giant red signs, it reads a lot better from a news camera. So during May Day, when we were out and, you know, fighting with the IWW, who always, like, take over Union Square and pretend they're a thing that exists. um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I don't like them. (laughs) <laughs> Suddenly, rather than seeing, really rather than seeing like their feeble signs that were all mass-produced and printed, you just saw this sea of red, just like red mm. roses, red signs, red slogans, red banners, all of it. Red wine. And <laughs> after that is when we started saying, okay, if you're going to come to a public DSA event, you have to, you have to dress themed. Oh man, I heard that. Um, I heard the alt right is doing that with Andrew Anglin, with what? telling them how to dress up. Did you hear that? That was like today. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, this is kind of non sequitur. No, go for it. Uh, what are their rivals? What's the alt right? We're talking yeah, about media messaging here. So Andrew Anglin had put out a whole thing, I guess, in the Daily Stormer about how you need to dress for this. I guess they're having some sort of convention. Oh, that's right. They wanted to make up. Nazism look sexy. Right. And he was like, you know, loose fitted t you know, loose t shirts are out. That's totally bad. Yeah, don't wear your don't wear your Naruto right. uh, like rayon, like ill fitting like button. You need to wear a fitted T that, you know, the sleeve goes down to mid bicep and you know, the end of the T shirt doesn't go or goes down no lower than the base of your member, he said. <laughs> But, like, literally <laughs> saying how to wear your shirt, how to wear your pants and everything, because he's afraid it's going to be a bunch of um, a bunch of gamers coming out of the basements and, you know, being exposed to the sun for the first time. Or something. Good memes, I'm actually guys. looking he forward said... to that completely backfiring on them because, uh, like, you know, Chan kids wearing fitted clothes. Uh, yeah. Th- that sounds hilarious to me. Well, he, like he's like, you guys have a thunder shirt. Right, right. He said, you guys, we have to get in the gym. Like, he literally was like, you guys got to start getting in the gym to represent us and stuff. Yeah, so. somebody somebody told Trump. Just don't be that way with the DSA, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're just saying, like, please wear red. Okay, okay. Yeah, But it can be a red halter top or, you know, a <laughs> yeah, red whatever. anything, right? Actually, okay. it's a very hat-based organization so we find like when we were trying to we're currently brainstorming red mega merchandise because people are starved for merchandise it seems like at least within yeah, the organization exactly. so mm-hmm. we're already putting out calls for things like scarves or bandanas or um something you can take off if things get sketchy basically i think a scarf would be great sure. actually. like you know if the black oh, reversible reversible yeah. hats that turn into like a black balaclava yeah <laughs> right. um I, I remember for a long time i was seeing a lot of like red balaclavas out there i'm like yeah i get it because if shit goes down you can take that off and put it in your pocket right jerk i think a, <laughs> like a soccer style scarf with the roses on each end soccer Man, style already... scarf. actually someone's Man. been floating around a bandana idea and i have an art Mm. I have an article coming out soon about the working class origins of seersucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hi, not, I was a fashion I'm major. not familiar. Um, that doesn't sound right? that comfortable, really. <laughs> it's incredibly comfortable. And I was just like... <laughs> no, it's great. It's a great and I, was like, I would just like, love it if the Southern Caucus like adopted red seersucker, like just tying it around their necks like a neckerchief. <laughs> <laughs> like some uh, Fred from Scooby-Doo style. Yeah. Or some Don Knotts style. Oh, yeah, except dude. in favor so- of seizing the means of production. A Boy Scout neckerchief. Fred was a capitalist, man. He's not an ally. We got to do that. 
I'm on the I'm on the fence. What? <laughs> no one is unconvertible. That's right. <laughs> that's a good that's a good note actually to uh take a break because we absolutely have to take a break now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. There was a turtle by the name of Bert, and Bert the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He ducked and cover, ducked and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you ducked and covered. So while the Democrats are fighting amongst themselves about donuts, uh, who gets the glaze? Right. Who? What donut flavor is the best? Sprinkles. Um, <laughs> the Republicans are just busy like ramping up the rhetoric, uh, literally about nuclear war. Hey man, everyone's getting that glaze, that nuclear glaze. You know, well, so. nuclear war is very retro, and retro is really hip right now. Seriously, well, I think it's that, just a phase we're going through. I mean, the best take the nuclear on phase. Twitter in the last couple of days was someone saying, you know, millennials are uh, are, are complaining about uh, we we don't have housing or jobs, and boomers say like, yeah, but we had to live under the threat of you know constant nuclear war. And millennial says, "Hold my avocado." Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's you got to get that uh, nuclear threat street cred. You know, That's it really right. helps. <laughs> That's right. I can't even get intimate with people anymore because you can't hug right. someone with nuclear arms. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate comparing all politics to Game of Thrones, but I mean, he Trump makes it so hard to resist. When he's literally out there, like spouting like Game of Thrones esque war rhetoric about fury and fire, fire and, and fury. blood, right. <laughs> it's like what are you doing? The likes of which the world has never seen before. But he's um, he's the Mad King. I mean, we don't even know that character really on Game of Thrones. Well, yeah, but it's it's funny when someone like Trump can cause you t can cause someone that you would normally not even like or agree with to say something that you find okay i mean t north korea today is like yeah trump is crazy and unhinged and it's like you're not wrong right. I, the, the reason you know that i'm gonna question i mean it seems like takes one to know right. one but you're speaking truth yes yeah they <laughs> so. they criticized him for golfing too much today yeah they were like if, if he's taking this crisis seriously like he says why is he out in the golf course it's like well, right. that's a good point north korea <laughs> yeah well i guess even a, yeah. a stopped staple to the wall state supplied clock is right once a day <laughs> <laughs> seriously <laughs> and but when you, it's right it's the very best right <laughs> right but i mean i'm i'm so disappointed in trump because i've long said if anyone could connect with kim jong-un on a personal level and aside from dennis rodman <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think you know trump I think Trump probably there's probably pictures of Trump hanging out with Dennis. Oh, there Biden. are. Sure oh, there are. are. They were all right. over the internet. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Which sure. leads could... me to my opinion: Dennis Rodman, MI15 mole. Ooh. He could be the secret to world peace, you guys. Oh gosh. Dennis Rodman's playing the long game. He's been working on this for a long well, time. Well, we know uh. that Trump hasn't appointed like any ambassadors, so why not Dennis Rodman to North Korea? He already has a good personal relationship. 
I thought that he. Uh, oh wait, never mind. Uh, I was like, Callista Gingrich, isn't she like an ambassador to the Vatican, to the or, Vatican or something? But, <laughs> Which <you know. laughs> okay, I I don't know how I know this, but I have Vatican insider gossip. Apparently, oh, they find that insulting to the point of getting, of like trying to like not making any trips to the U.S. at all ever. <laughs> Oh, and like man. not letting well, I mean, her if... see anyone important. Like they're basically putting her in the closet. I will say hey, just to put this in her. context, it's better than past centuries where if the Vatican got pissed, they literally came and killed everybody and took over your country. <laughs> that is true. I, not a whole lot of um, the Swiss guards are less in number these days. Oh, but such mm-hmm. great outfits. <laughs> yeah, it's like orange and blue stripes yeah those things they look like the guys who would be standing outside of a circus tent um like checking people's bags (laughs) (laughs) it's you bamboozle the enemy on the battlefield with your ostentatious fashions and that's how you win that's how you get the dazzle them with glamour yeah it's it's that uh like dazzle camouflage that they use in world war one where they painted the ships all crazy colors (laughs) they just put all their points into charisma right America's next top general and stuff. It's like this oh, fashion man. Yeah, runway. so I guess our, our philosophy is we're all going to die, but, you know, we've we've got to laugh about it. I mean, what are you going to do right, other than I mean, laugh about it? Yeah, at least it's going to be the most hilarious nuclear Wait, apocalypse do ever. We, do we have to die? <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's just going to be like the West Coast has to die. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm safe. You guys are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Their work, they're getting better all the time uh, with those missiles. It's, it's yeah. only a matter of time. Yeah, like they were able to they were able to like slingshot another sh- uh, school bus slightly farther away. I mean, come on. <laughs> the NYPD right. has a bigger budget than the North Korea military. Right. It's, but, you I know, be thank God they don't have that, the nukes yet. I wouldn't be surprised to know that the NYPD has tactical nukes also. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but we we tend to <laughs> shove them up uh, young black kids. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and, and we thank you. No, Which no, is no. actually going to happen if they nuke the West Coast. Uh, just right you know, to bring it back around. Mm. They're going to take it out on drug deal, low level drug dealers in America. <laughs> no. Uh, the whole thing is neither one of these guys can back down the rhetoric, and I I don't necessarily see this ever actually been a thing so i just keep blocking it out in my head like this isn't gonna happen this can't happen so yeah i mean i i definitely was on the like well this is just rhetoric and it's you know it's not actually a realistic side but when you get trump in there you know it's hard it's hard not to think like well and and the weird thing is is that Knowing the way Trump thinks, he probably thinks that North Korea would be an easy victory because they're geographically small. Like, I I feel like that would be the kind of logic he brings to that I th- war. I think you're totally right, Chuck. I mean, he doesn't understand geopolitics. He doesn't uh, the like at the basis level. He understands that China doesn't want the North Korea regime to topple. Uh, but that That's probably being also has generous. to do with he. He also doesn't understand <laughs> like what China represents on the geopolitical stage. You know, he thinks of them as, um, like back when, like in the nineteen seventies, when he was actually going to, uh, like bodegas and there were Asian people there. That's that's what he knows about China. 
Right. Well, you know, his his strategy nor- in normal business life was just to threaten people with lawsuits. And so now he's really just translating that into nuclear war, you know, in terms of foreign policy or foreign diplomacy. So maybe it's just bluster, but, you know, nuclear bluster is a new thing to have to get conditioned to, you know, on right. the regular. So Well, and I think the thing that scares me the most is like, you know, let's say that they do launch a missile mm-hmm. near Guam or something like that. And Trump says, like, well, we got to strike back. Mm-hmm. And they come to him and they say, well, if we strike North Korea, there's a good chance that they might just say, like, hey, if we're going down, we're, we're taking, taking South, South Korea. Korea. Yeah, we're with taking us. Seoul. Japan. We're taking Tokyo. Right. And Trump goes, like, well, that's not my problem. Like, right. let's do it. Right. Uh, that, that's not a comforting like, thought. Sacrifices have to be made. <laughs> As long as they're not me. As long as they're not anything to do with me. Yeah, it turns out out (laughs) that the funniest movie ever made about nuclear holocaust, which is Dr. Strangelove, isn't even close to being as crazy as what the reality is that we're dealing with. Right. Well, and on the other end of the insane Trump political reality, you've got his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, getting raided in an early morning no-knock raid by the FBI to seize (laughs) evidence of criminal wrongdoing. No-knock raid because they were pretty sure he was going to start destroying documents. Absolutely. Yeah. Which he would. He absolutely would do that. He's not a stupid man. Right. These are just normal witch hunt steps. You know, this is just the next step in the baseless witch hunt. You just execute FBI no-knock raids and seize evidence. You know, it's just all normal witch hunt procedure, guys. (laughs) <laughs> well, and the weird thing, um, I saw it reported today that the I think the day after or maybe within the next week after a story aired in the National Enquirer about Paul Manafort having an affair or whatever, you know, cheating on his wife. And that's totally a Trump move. You know, like that was that was his whole threat against uh, Morning Joe and everything was, you know, going to the National Enquirer with information. But yeah, they're attacking Paul Manafort pretty hard, and it's it's looking like they don't mind sacrificing that dude. So, well, they already tried to distance themselves, but like he's played a very small role in the campaign. Sure, as the campaign manager for months and months. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, right. It's not unnerving to me that they keep like you know long knifing various White House or administration officials because. They're rats, and rats eat each other in confined spaces. Uh, it's the fact that they Delicious. never seem to go after the like the ne- the hardcore neo Nazis or straight up Nazis. They're still there. Miller's still there. Bannon's still there. You know, slowly building. Gorka's still there. Gorka <laughs> is still there, and like you know, the, the Romanian vampire is still there, and um, you know, yeah. they're all like slowly building nests in the sewers beneath the White House, yeah. while anyone else, you know, Reince, re- whatever, he doesn't matter. You know, the last right. connection to anything <laughs> resembling like adult supervision or GOP orthodoxy is gone. So now you just have Trump sitting alone with his, like, three weird sisters, but they're all Nazi advisors. (laughs) Like, they're all sharing one (laughs) eye except the pupils and a swastika. Like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Oh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely so brazen and unbelievable. I mean, you've got Trump firing everybody from the GOP establishment, literally tweeting, like, 
I'm on vacation, but hey, Mitch McConnell, like, get back to work and pass all my oh, bills dude. for me. Oh, I oh, almost okay. felt oh, sorry God. for Mitch if McConnell. If Mitch McConnell goes down, I will buy everybody in the world shots. And, <laughs> and if this somehow takes Paul Ryan down with him. Oh. I mean, well. Trump seems like the kind of guy, I mean, he, that's that scorched earth mentality, right? I, I feel like he's getting to the point now where he's so desperate that he's like, maybe we'll ramp up some war rhetoric. Maybe we'll threaten some people. Maybe we'll just take, we'll dish, dish dirt on people. Oh my I God. mean, it's it's like it's getting to end game scenario, and it's only seven months into his first term. Right. Well, and I I think I think an important thing to note there is that Trump supporters they support Trump. They don't support Paul Ryan. They don't support Mitch McConnell. They don't. Oh, they definitely don't. They loathe support. the GOP establishment. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, if Trump is able to, uh, you know, th- there was that that joke going around back in like the summer of 2016 about how Trump was actually some sleeper agent for the Democrats to destroy the GOP from the inside. It's like, okay, this is more like donut wishful thinking, but Mm. it also kind of seems to be happening. Uh, You know, good luck for the donuts. Accidentally doing that. Well, we're going to get like all, we're going to get all the worst things for the stupidest reasons. (laughs) Well, right now that's our title. We're by getting the way. all the worst things. <laughs> yeah, the wor- for the stupidest reasons. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Trump thanks Putin for cutting all those U.S. diplomats. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we want to reduce he's our thanking, payroll. He's thanking Putin for sending the diplomats home because now we don't have to pay them because we've been trying. He yeah. says like we've been trying to cut the budget, so like we don't have to pay all these salaries. But you fucking idiot. You still have to pay these people. They're still employees. They just aren't doing the right. job that we sent them there to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Trump's yeah. just hoping that they start leaking so he can just have an excuse to fire them all. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, they will. I mean, the entire thing is a colander. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Seriously, it's like Swiss cheese on there. Right. But again, it's like Trump is just so brazenly being like, I don't think we should put r- sanctions on Russia. And then when Russia retaliates for the sanctions, he's like, thank you, Russia. P- please, sir, may I have another? Yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely so brazen that Republicans are still just supporting this guy. Like, I just don't know what they think they're getting well, out of it. I don't think Republicans are well, supporting the guy. I think that Trump voters, I think MAGA hats are supporting the guy. Right. I don't think Republicans, I mean, NPR, you know, not to be outdone in the field of Let's go to a fucking diner in Ohio and talk to Trump supporters and find out what's wrong with this country. NPR ran another one tonight by uh, Scott Detrow, who I actually respect as a journalist, but God damn it, dude, like work on a better project. Um, but the Trump supporters he was talking to were like, eh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed at this point. Like, I, I don't think he, he ought to be doing some of the stuff that he's doing, uh, which at least is a that's a change you know that's a shift in opinion right well and it's like well who could have seen it coming that trump couldn't deliver on his promises that his promises are nonsensical contradictory and impossible well and didn't they just come out this week with an article saying that 40 percent of trump voters or republicans would be fine with postponing the 2020 election i mean oh yeah that's got that's that kind of a support fun thing to hear. <laughs> yeah you know they're like if he needs us to do that you know that we're fine with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's so far-fetched and ridiculous, but at the same time, 
that's the level of support. I don't know. The Reichshagfire was. It's only 40%, really. Right. The Reichshagfire was far fetched and ridiculous until it actually happened. Right. I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm at this point. I, I'm just like, you know, call me when he's hanging naked from a street lamp, basically. <laughs> right. Because you know, the, the, the GOP has absolutely. Dude, piano wire would cut through that guy like butter. It would be awful. It would be. It would be just <laughs> oh, the most horrific. It would scene. be like, have you ever cut open a Stretch Armstrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> it would be like that. Oh. And oh. as I'm saying, like the GOP has no plan for the future they have no plan of how to deal with trump they're all acting as if, as if there's never going to be elections ever again and the mm. democrats are just sort of like flailing around like a dead fish like sort of <gasps> maybe yeah. if we support a war <gasps> <Right. sighs> you know like maybe maybe if maybe we, if we like, support reach across tax the reform. aisle now like yeah, now, like, now's yeah. our time to yeah, no, be bipartisan right. yeah it's like they all have qatar yeah, syndrome the they all think they're dead and everyone else is dead. So, which is why the only reasonable, practical move forward is a violent workers' revolution. Who's with me? Hey, I'm, I'm oh, in. Oh, let's I'm do it. it. Great. You had I me mean, at hello. If the choice is that or nuclear war, I mean, that's an easy come choice. On, come sure. together, oh, comrades. Sure. We'll all join the local Soviet. <laughs> yes. It'll be great. Workers unite. <laughs> this has been your perspective yep. from the planes for this week. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, that was practically a high note there. I love it. <laughs> well, leave excellent. it. Yeah, love it. We're gonna Le- leave love it, it there. Love it. Oh my God, there love was it a. Love it. I, I know we'll cut this. There was a furniture store where I grew up called Levitt's, L-E-V-E-I-T-T, whose motto was literally "Love it at Levitt's." Love it at Levitt's. I never Ooh, shopped there because it of the schoolyard taunting. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm sorry. You you already got your one title in for the episode. We're not going to use that one. You Damn missed. It, too many. Well, you missed. <laughs> you missed out so, on some good deals. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, John, we can't thank you enough for being oh. on the show. It's been great having you on here. So, um, where can the fans find your um, some of the things that you're working on? Your projects, your books. Um, well, I have a main site, which is weird for 2017 to actually have a website, uh, at <laughs> levittalone.com. That's L-E-A-V-I-T-T, alone.com, which I realize is a pun based on Excellent. my name. And you can find me on Twitter at at levittalone, L-E-A-V-I-T-T, alone. That's usually where I am. Possibly contributing to the uh, to the confusion with the name there. Just yeah, no, I, I realize I brought that on myself. <laughs> I say you just own it, man. That's right. <laughs> well, and you all know you can find Liquid Flannel pretty much all over the internet. You can find us at YouTube. We've got a Facebook page now. You can find us at Twitter at Liquid underscore Flannel. And don't forget to follow us individually. You can find me at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Great with a W. And that's been the episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ben. Bye.
<laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. No, man, we we brought you on to be a comedian. Come on. Yeah, let's absolutely. Go. Let's, let's go Dance time. monkey. Okay, fine. <laughs> Seriously. Turn the grinder. Uh, well, no, okay. No, we we can start over. We'll we'll put that in as the as the sting. Um <laughs> No. Everything's run by white people. <laughs>